we are very used in our culture to thinking that bigger is better. Certainly, many come to that conclusion with regards to events that take place around the world or even in our country. Uh, Bigger sometimes is always counted as better. And as a small island nation, we recognize our limitations. How often do we not look to America and there we see things that are so big. Uh, They're bigger in size in every way. Bigger roads, bigger cars, bigger industry, bigger land mass. Sometimes not for the better, bigger people. Bigger. But is it always better? I suppose as children, we grew up thinking the bigger the parcel at birthday or Christmas, the better. We always think the bigger the box, the more exciting the gift. As we grew older, we realized that some of the better gifts come in the smaller boxes, smaller things, smaller things that are valuable and will last. And some people apply this then to the way of the world and to even to God's word. People come to the Bible and they think this is just a very short little verse in Psalm 117. Is it really worth taking time to think about this psalm together? And a great reason for praise is given in this psalm. In fact, it's amazing that some of the commentators even speak of it as just like an anthem and it really should be tagged on to the end of another psalm. And we certainly don't agree with those thoughts that things like uh, the psalm are, are small and not of much value. Here is a portion of God's word and it is packed with meaning that should be a help to us. Yes, there are other portions uh, and there are big portions and big books But Psalm 117 is a psalm that we do well to think of as we do today. And it is packed with things that we do need to consider together. It is the shortest psalm. Of course, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's the very center, in many ways, almost the very center of our Bibles as well. So what can we learn from a psalm like this. Well, I've said that's a great reason for praise as outlined in this psalm. We might also say that this psalm is a psalm that challenges us to praise. The first thing I want to note is here we have a call to praise. Then I want us to think about the people who are called to praise. And then about the one who is to be praised. Because in each of these points we will see Uh, this psalm unfold. First of all, there is a call to praise. The psalmist cries out, praise the Lord. In fact, that is repeated three times. We read in this psalm, praise the Lord at the very beginning and at the very end. But there's a third uh, praise the Lord, although in the New International it's translated extol the Lord. Because the word there is slightly different. It's a different word in the original. And it is a different nuance. That word in that part of that phrase 
It can be rendered praise the Lord, but it can also be rendered extol the Lord. Now, what does it mean to praise or to extol the Lord? When we think about praise, we talk about coming to praise. Praise the Lord. We sing praise to our God. But what exactly are we doing? What does that mean? When we talk about praising God, how are we to do it? That's a good question. Or to use the second phrase, how are we to extol our God? Well, I might first begin by a human illustration. Just imagine there's someone who's a bit downcast. They are feeling low. They feel they're getting everything wrong. They're under pressure. And yet they do so many things so well. How would you praise those persons? Isn't it an amazing thing that if you begin to say to them, well, look, wait a moment. You have done this. You, you are to be encouraged. We praise you for your helpfulness, for words that have been spoken appropriately. We praise you because you have given encouragement to other people. We praise you because of the actions in certain ways. And when you begin to show them the good things that they have done, in other words, to praise them and extol them, what happens? They're lifted up. They can begin to see a better side. And they're downcast and downhearted. The voice thoughts can be pushed aside. They begin to understand that, in fact, they're valued and they have virtue. Now, if we can apply that to God, although we can't apply it to God in the same way, but that, in a sense, is what we're to do, praising God. We are to extol him by telling him all the good things that he does. And when you and I, as his mere creation, as his people, as those called to faith, Praise God and speak back to him of all his mercies. What are we doing? We are simply saying, Lord, we understand all your goodness to us. You have given us many good things and we extol you for those things. You have worked on our behalf and we are so thankful. We praise you in recounting those things. We could take a leaf out of the book of Psalms. And in fact, the book of Psalms is a great book of praise. It is the book that we believe should be used. And here's why. Because what does the psalmist again and again do? He says to God, look what you have done for us. Even take the historical Psalms. It's not just a recounting of history. It is a praise to God. Because he's saying, Lord, we have had our enemies. Lord, you have defeated them. You have helped us to overcome our enemies. Or the psalmist comes and says to Lord, you are my refuge and my strength. You have come near to me in my trouble and lifted me up. And I am praising you for that because I know the good and the benefit it has been to my soul. So again and again, the psalmist comes back and is saying to God, this is what you have done. And even though we may in the Psalms be speaking of things that are past, they also point to the things that Christ has done. 
for us because they're full of the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. Every psalm is a psalm of Christ and what he has done. And even this psalm, how can we praise and extol God unless we look at the reason which we'll come to shortly? We praise, we extol the Lord by recounting to him the great benefits to the soul and that shows your appreciation and mine for the greatness of our God. See, it's so different from people. We might go back to our illustration. We can praise someone and we can show them their virtues. And what can happen? Some personalities get a big head and get arrogant and proud and begin to think they can do everything and anything. And they think that they are better than they are. Friends, that may happen with men and women and sometimes therefore we have to curtail our praise and sometimes in those people we have to point out their faults. But not so with God. There is nothing we can say of what God has done that will cause him to be arrogant or proud for he is worthy of all, all the praise, all the honor and the glory that we would give to him. So let us praise the Lord. Let us use the Psalms to praise him. And in our prayers we can extol him. We can recount to God his blessings to us. Of how he has given health and family and life and spiritual life and food and all of these things. And we praise God and as we do so we are saying Lord we thank you and we appreciate your hand upon us. We praise you for it. So here's a psalm that calls people to praise the Lord, to praise him for all his good things, to recount to him his many blessings to us. Praise him. We might just say that the praise comes at the beginning and at the end and in the middle. And there's even a lesson in that. Our lives should be full of praise to God. Praising him in the morning, in the middle of the day, and at evening for all that he has done. Secondly, we want to think about the people who are called to praise the Lord. See, as a psalm written for the Jews, to the Jews, many might have thought, well, this is a, this is a word of praise. It's a call to God's own chosen people. And it certainly is that, but it's more. Here is a psalm that, as we see, calls all the nations. And as we think about that, the the psalmist has a much bigger, wider vision than simply one people, group. It is way beyond a call to Israel as God's people to praise their God. As we read the Old Testament, we may consider sometimes and think that it is all about the Jews. It's full of the uh, people of God and Israel, and it's certainly all about the Jews. The Old Testament is full of that. But let us remember that the Jews were always benefiting other nations. We could take, for example... A woman like Rahab. 
Yes, Rahab, the prostitute. What happened to her? She was brought in as a God-fearing Gentile and became part of Israel. Or we could take Ruth the Moabitess, who again became a God-fearing person and was part of Israel. Both these women, in fact, maybe to our amazement sometimes, are in the ancestral line of our Savior himself. So, though the Old Testament is very much about Israel, there is always a vision for a wider kingdom. And we're not told of many others who became God-fearers, but we know that there were those who saw Israel, learnt of Israel's God, and began to fear him. We read of them, some of them in the New Testament. We're thinking about Cornelius in Acts, and we'll be doing that again this evening. A God-fearer. But here in this psalm, the call goes out to all the nations. It's not simply a message for the Jew. It's no longer just to be proclaimed to people who are in a small, narrow group. Every single people on earth. That's why we read from Romans chapter 15, because Paul applies it in that very way. We note how Paul is arguing there, and he's talking about how Israel would benefit the Gentiles. And so he says in verse 9, so that the Gentiles may glorify God. And he's saying Israel, the Jews, were to take the word, but it was also through them, through the Savior, the Jewish man, Jesus Christ, that the Gentiles were to come to worship God. And what does Paul do? He quotes from a, a, a number of places, and one of them is this psalm in verse uh, 10. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Proving his point that the vision of Israel was not just for themselves, but for a wider people group. For all peoples on earth, Jew or Gentile, to be brought to praise God. All are created by God. There is that sense in which every single person is created by God. Therefore, we ought to return praise to the Creator. But I think Paul is calling them for even greater things. He's saying all need to know the Messiah. And from people of every nation need to come and praise him, not only as Creator, but as the Sovereign Lord and Saviour. And so you see that it matters not the region where someone is from. It doesn't matter their nationality or their skin color or their language. All the nations, all the peoples, are to be called to praise the Lord. And when we think about that, also feeds in to our mission. And that's this, this is in this psalm. If all the people are to be called to praise God, how are they going to do it? Well, they need to learn about God. And if they're to praise God for their Savior, they need to be proclaimed. He needs to be proclaimed to them. Jesus Christ needs to be made known. 
You and I should be praising him because he has been made known. But here is the the vision and the mission of the church. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that the nations, the Gentiles among whom we live, and to the furthest ends of the earth can come and exalt the Lord and praise him. So you and I are to go and tell them of the Jesus they need to know. Not the Jesus they think they know. Not the one they've heard about in the back streets. But the true Messiah and Lord. The God-man who gave his life that whosoever believes would have eternal life. We are to bring them to see that for all that they praise and exalt in this world and all the worldliness, it is our God, the God who sent his Son, that they are to worship and praise. And none other. He alone is the one worthy of their praise. So here is a call to all people. And it shows forth also the mission of the church. But as we think of that, it does bring us to think further about the one who is to be praised. And here is something we need to focus on, first of all, for ourselves. What does the psalmist say? Praise the Lord, for great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Can you ever dwell enough on the love of God, the exceedingly great love of God? You see, we're not called to praise some mere man. We're not called to give devotion to some piece of wood or stone or idol or even to some great leader in the world. No, we are called to praise the God who has loved you. And how did God love you? He loved you and he loved me by sending the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son, into the world to die on the cross. The Father in heaven gave Jesus Christ as the everlasting Savior in his love. That's why in John 3.16 we know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave. And this is the God you are to praise. Can you praise him for his love? See, you can only really praise God for that love if you've embraced the Savior he sent for your sin. If you have yet not embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're still outside of his love. You've rebelled in your sin and in your uh, wickedness against him. You're doing your own thing. But he loved you. He sent Christ to die for you. You need to know that if you reject Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, You're rejecting the love of God. You're still under his wrath. There's only one other place for you to go. That is under his wrath 
to be condemned to the everlasting judgment and the pains of hell forever. And we praise God that he will judge the earth, that those who reject him will be judged. But we praise him far more for the unbelievable, the everlasting depth of his love that should send his son not simply into a world that may treat him well. What did Jesus come to do? He came to die on the cross. He was nailed there. Why? He was obedient to the cross. Why? Because of his love for you and for me. Is that not worthy of praise? That's why I've called this the great reason for praising God. Because there is no better reason. The holy, infinite, eternal, loving Father in heaven gave his Son over to the death of the cross, poured out his wrath upon him that he might show you mercy. And that mercy is new every single day. And so we need to praise the Lord for his love. And when we understand that and do praise him for it, it ought to move us to declare that love to others. He has provided life for you. Why do we not cry out more that there might be others moved by his Spirit and brought to know Jesus Christ as Lord. What a change it brings to us when we, you are in your sin. And if you're still in your sin, you're still of this world. And the only hope you have lies in this world. And at the end, death and destruction. But for those who know the love of God in Christ and who praise him for it, you see, we're transformed. We're taken into a different sphere because we are of eternity. We have to deal with all this world throws at us, but we don't become hopeless or empty because eternity with Christ is our, what we have. And we know that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with our Savior and exalt him. What great praise our God is due for his love to us. But not only does the psalmist say, for great is his love, he also speaks about the faithfulness of the Lord that endures forever. And it's worth giving some thought to that faithfulness. You see, you and I as human beings, sinful people, are so conditioned by man that we don't see faithfulness. Even the most faithful of people can let us down. How often we have been failed by other people. And so we get a built-in sense of, well, they'll fail us again. We have our faults and we have difficulties. And we see this all around us. We think even of marriage where faithfulness ought to abound 
And in our culture, we have people, they're married 10 or 15 or 20 or even 25 years, and then faithfulness is thrown out the window and the whole thing is dissolved. There's a lack of faithfulness. And we're so used and prone to thinking faithlessness, that's what there is. Friends, what about God? The psalmist says, our Lord is faithful and it endures forever. He's not just faithful for a year or two. He's not just faithful when you're going through your teenage years. He's not just faithful when you're bringing up your family and dealing with all the struggles that that brings. He's not just faithful when you're old. He's faithful in all of those stages of life right through death itself taking you to eternity. And as you await the resurrection of the body, our God will continue to be faithful until that day when Christ comes in all his glory. The body will be raised, united with the soul to dwell with him forever. Praise him for his faithfulness. And we can then break that faithfulness down into so many areas of life. When I am unfaithful, when I have fallen into sin, my God remains faithful. Whenever I feel him, he certainly doesn't feel me. Whenever things aren't going the way I think I would wish them to go, is it because God is unfaithful? No. He is, in fact, being faithful and leading in a better way. Sometimes the ungodly, the worldly person, the person who doesn't know God's love will blame God. They'll say, well, things didn't work out. That's the way God's treated me. But the truth of the matter for the ungodly and for the Christian who might be tempted to blame God is that the unchanging God remains faithful. The problem is on your side. You have strayed from his word and from his call. You have not done what he asked. He has not been faith faithless. You have been faithless. For he in his faithfulness endures forever. And sometimes we simply need the eyes of faith to see that what God is doing with us through difficulties and issues that arise as in fact directing us back to himself and calling us to praise his great name. Our God is faithful and loving. He is worthy to be praised. And we would do well to meditate upon God in all his nature. We, there are so, when we think about our God. We're only thinking here of his love and faithfulness, but there are divine attributes in God that we should ponder more and more and more. For he will not let us down. And the more we know of our God, the more we will praise him. And the more we tell the world of the God whom we love, maybe they might come by his spirit to realize they too should be brought under his love to praise him. So here's a short psalm. But it packs for us much to think about. The call to praise. Are we really praising God as we should? 
Are we lifting up our voices with heartfelt desire to praise Him? When we sing these psalms that recount back His blessings for all that He has done, are our hearts in them? Well, they should be because this, we can identify so much with what the psalmist says. And then we have those who are to praise Isn't it a joy that we are Gentiles and God has called us to praise Him, to praise Him for His love and for His faithfulness. Let us then praise the Lord. And we're going to do that and we're going to turn to this psalm and I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to sing Psalm 117, the A version. I'm going to ask if we could sing it through twice, please. Um, It is short, but let us uh, take this psalm we can sing these two short verses, and we're going to sing it through twice. Psalm 117a, O all you nations of the earth, give praise unto the Lord, and all you peoples magnify his name with one accord. Why? For great towards us ever is his steadfast love always. The Lord's truth lasts forevermore. Oh, do the Lord's name praise. Psalm 117a, these two verses, tune is 74, and I've asked if we can sing through twice. Let us praise God together.